Well, good morning. How was your week? Nothing like a couple snow days when you're in Haiti. So it's where we were this week, so if you don't get that, you'll get that later. So uh, glad to be here with you today. We are, uh, I'm excited to be able to be a part of, uh, continue part of this series. We're in the middle of this series called Adulting, as you've heard a couple of times. And, you know, it focuses on the active part of our adult faith, right? That's what we're supposed to do. That's who we are as Christ followers. We understand that. This, uh, these two books of Peter, they're incredible. They really outline the gospel, the, the grace, the growth, the generosity. It really covers who we are as a church and who we are espousing to be. And so I would encourage you to kind of just keep this in mind as, as time to time we will kind of lose our way in our, in our walk with the Lord. Man, what a great two books to get in. It covers it all. Peter outlines how we as Christ followers are to, to be successful, how we can be successful, how we're to live, how we're con- to conduct ourselves. He's talking about our gospel story. As we, as we go, what is our gospel story? What are we demonstrating there? Such a foundational uh, couple of books and uh, a roadmap for our calling to understand where we get our power and, and how we can access that, how we can live um, literally the first, if you've missed any of these, go back and, and, and pick them up. Cam opened up with the first one. We as Christ followers are called to live as reflections, right? We're called to live as Christ. Uh, we are called to, to be more like the King of King and Lord of Lords, to reflect him. The one who cares enough for us, he, he wants us to grow and mature, not to stay as infants at the point of salvation, but to get beyond that. Last week we talked about knowing uh, what God wants us to be and, and how we are to, to live. We address the fact that there's God's part and there's our part. And if we're not careful, we'll get those parts mixed up, right? And uh, it's important for us to not do that. So today, as we set the stage for this, I want to take just a moment, welcome LaGrange campus and those online, welcome you. We are here for a purpose. Whatever got you here today, understand that, that God is, has you here and wants to use this in your life. And I pray that, that I can be set aside enough to honor the Word of God in uh, what we're talking about. Our three key things last week were this. We are to know ourselves in Christ. And by in Christ, I mean we're to look at our lives in light of Scripture, to understand who we are according to who God says we are, not how we feel, not just what we do, but who God says we are because we're empowered. We're imparted with the Word of God in our lives. We are empowered with the Holy Spirit, the moment of salvation. We're gifted, uh, and, and we are called in that moment. And so we must be in the Word of God to understand truly who we are in Christ. If not, we're going to easily uh, become astray. We are to lead ourselves in the battle against uh, the, the thoughts of our flesh, the passions of our lives, and we're to battle daily. The, the, uh, Peter uses a, a present active uh, verb there to, to, to illustrate that this is an ongoing daily battle. Whether you're an infant in Christ or whether you're a mature believer, this is an ongoing battle we all face. It's common to all of us. And then we're to lead ourselves in the area of conduct because we know that conduct is so critical in a lost world, in living in a lost world, that our conduct points people to Jesus. Whether it's in difficult circumstances or in good circumstances, our conduct points people to Jesus. We understand that a life a Christ follower lives is, is one of proclaiming the, the excellencies of the gospel, of, of the Lord, of who he is, of what he's done, of the fact that he saved us from this darkness, lostness, into this light, and we are to let our light shine. You see, that's our testimony, and that we are to be about telling our stories. Our story is not just our salvation. It certainly starts there, and it must be there. 
But we are to grow beyond our salvation into a daily walk with the Lord. We're to see God and see Jesus work. We're to, to operate under the power of the Holy Spirit as we go each day. Our story is about God showing up in those moments when we thought there was no hope and he, he provided the hope. Our story is about what God did in our lives last week and, and yesterday and this morning. Our testimonies are ongoing. They're not one and done. We're to live an active faith. That's what we talked about last week. We understand that sharing our testimonies, that's our part. Our gospel story, that's our part to have this ready faith. You see, we are to allow our lives to be an open book for those around us. And that's difficult for some of us. We are to be leveraged and multiplied by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're to place things in his hands. So our, that's what our conduct does. It puts, gives him tools in our lives to multiply the gospel into our communities, into the places where we live and when we work and when we play, where we learn. We are to live well because of him and for him. We are to acknowledge his presence daily in our lives. Because if we refuse to acknowledge God's presence in our lives, then what we're doing is we're allowing others to miss the opportunity to acknowledge God. Are you with me? We must see God daily. We must see God move. We should have this big and specific vision about how he's working in our lives and lives of our family and those we love and those that we are praying for. If we don't see him move, others may not see him move either. Living well is not circumstantial. It's not about things being easy. You see, God is at work all around us, and we're a part of many gospel stories at once. So, so often we don't even know what they are. Our story enables others to tell their story. That is so critical to hear this morning. This past week, Cam uh, and my daughter Olivia and I went to Haiti uh, for a few days. We had two objectives. We were, uh, were working on uh, an opportunity for a mission project for a church in Haiti in, in June. And I'm mean, really excited about that, to be able to, to work in a village and to bring the gospel to a village and to work with, in an orphanage and to, and to share and to, and to put courage in children. And, and the other part of it, we were there to, uh, to uh, begin, my daughter's importing coffee as part of her ministry and to, to be able to, to support entrepreneurial programs for older um, orphans who are aging out of the system and they have no place to go. So it's this training thing. So we were in the mountains working with farmers and villages and we were around, around the, the country in Port-au-Prince. It was a really a good week. I was able to introduce uh, Cam to a really good friend of mine named Sony. I met Sony five years ago. Actually, Sony is our, our Haitian, non-adopted Haitian son, just to be honest. Sony's one of those guys. We met him at, at one of the camps uh, uh, a few years ago that Olivia was putting on, hosting. And, and I walked up and Sonny says, do you speak English? And I said, yes, I do. He said, can you talk to me? And I said, sure. What do you want to talk about? He said, just talk. He, he, he was learning English. He just wanted to talk. He just wanted to, it didn't matter what. He just wanted to talk. You see, Sonny had been, had been studying English because he had an English Bible. And so God's word was already in his heart. It was really a cool thing, right? He was learning English, and he just wanted to talk about it. He just wanted to talk about what he had learned, and who he was. And so it was a very quick trip from him to be a non-believer to becoming a believer. It was just a few weeks, and we were able to disciple him online and our trips down there and get to know him and put courage in him. And this young man, as an infant in Christ, began to grow and grow and grow. And so much, he just, he, he just espouses the things of God and the word of God. And he was living in a, a Christian school. Uh, not a Christian school. He was living in a Catholic school, and, and the reason why we met him is that the school was out for the summer, and so he had to have a place to go. So he wound up going to one of the orphanages that, that uh, we've been working with for several years, and that's where, where we met him there through this camp. So God was at work 
in that moment. And coming back, Sony, as he began to grow, he began to ask questions about Jesus. And eventually, you got to understand, Sony's one of these brightest young men in, in, in the school systems there. He's always in the top of his class and his grades, and he's always doing well on tests. He lost his scholarship because of too many questions. He, he uh, Facebooked me one day and said, I'm, I have no place to go. Literally, on the street. So Cam got to meet this great young man that we love so dearly and, and that loves the Lord and, and, and that God has honored. And, and, and Sony came to me um, the second day we were there and he said, I have something for you. And he handed me this envelope. And I said, what is this? He said, it's, it's my first paycheck. You see, for the last three years, we've been uh, putting Sony through English, the uh, Haitian American Institute for English so that he could get a certificate in English, learn, study English, learn English, so that he could translate and earn money for a living to have a family. And as he, as he graduates from high school in May, to have something as he goes on to college, he, w- he would love to study here in the United States. And so he handed me this envelope and I opened this envelope, and I'm like, man, Sony, that, that's amazing. He said, I, I translated. It's, it, he, in, in this envelope, there's, you know, $70, and he said, I translated last week for uh, this organization, and this is my pay, my whole paycheck. I said, I'm so proud of you. He said, you take it. I said, I can't take that. He said, you have to. I made a deal with God. You take it. I can't take that. You, you see, $70 represents months and months of food in Haiti. The average family in, in Haiti in that area lives on $2 a day, six to eight people on $2 a day. This is, this is the young man, his very, the very first thing, his first job is first paycheck. Gentlemen, what did you do with your first paycheck? <laughs> he said, you must take it. Okay, I can't. I made a deal with the Lord. He said, take that and give that to our church. In May, he will age out of the orphanage that he's living in and has to leave. That $70 represents security. It represents a lot of things for him. He gave his entire net worth to the Lord, to this church, because he trusts this church. He 100% tithe. More than that, his entire net worth. Everything. You see, this church took up an offering for Kid for Kid in October of 2016 to support Olivia and, and, and the work that she was doing with these orphans. That money, a lot of that money went to support Sony from this church. See how God's working? Your investment, his investment, this entire thing, I am not worthy. I am not worthy to even be the carrier of these dollars. What could I do? You better know that I'm investing this in the kingdom of God here in this church. You better know that that, that these dollars matter. These dollars represent something exceptional. 
You better know that, that these dollars are going to be multiplied. This is the heart of a, of a pure, holy young man that's on, seeking the Lord. This, this represents everything. This is the best church I know to invest it in. Am I willing to live that kind of life? Is that who I am? You see, Sony is part of our story, and most of us didn't even know it. Sony gets it. He, know, why, he understands why he can do that. He understands it. We, he understands why he can be successful giving everything away. Because, because he is chosen. He is a royal priesthood. He's a part of the holy nation. He's a people of possession. He had no name or face, but God saved him, and he has a name and face. He has experienced the mercy and the grace of God, and he is proclaiming God's excellencies to the point that he's been thrown out of where he's supposed to be. He sacrificed it all, and rather than sitting back and saying, I won't do that again, what does he do? He takes his, the, the first thing he's ever owned in his entire life, the very first thing he's ever had in his life that he provided himself, the first thing, and he puts it in the hands of the Lord. Who am I to be standing up here sharing the gospel? I am so unworthy. And yet the gospel is fully worthy. Man in the room, I know we feel like we can't get things done for the Lord that we're unworthy. But I'm telling you, you're worthy in Christ. You're worthy in Christ to stand up for your family. You're worthy in Christ to stand up for, for him in your neighborhoods. You're worthy for Christ to stand in your jobs. Put it on the line. We are to proclaim his excellency, what God has done in our lives, not just through our salvation, but certainly that. We are to demonstrate his character and his nature because of what he's done for us on the cross. You see, our, the key is to set our minds for action, right? According to, to, to 1 Peter 1.13, to set our minds for action. Not to just think about something, to have a philosophical conversation, but to set our minds for action, to get something done, to intend, to lean in right? To be sober-minded, complete focused on Jesus, our hope fully on the grace of the Lord. That is our part. Our part is to be sober-minded and focused on the grace. Our, that's our part. Jesus' part is the saving. When God chooses to visit someone, that's his part. Our goal is to live well enough so that when he chooses to show up in someone's life that we have, have good conduct, that we have been present and that there's something for him to use so that we can be part of that salvation experience. That is the blessing Peter's talking about. Are you with me? Does it make sense? We, we, we are to know God. We are to know ourselves in Christ. Not how we feel, but what the Word of God says. So we, therefore, we have to be in the Word of God. We must be in the Word of God. If we want to live this way, we must live this way. That's the bottom line for where we are. We've got to quit being mamsy-pamsies and quit, quit, quit acting like nothing matters and start taking a stand for the things of God. We must, we must, we must. And in the very light of that, what does Peter say, tell us to do next? He tells us to submit. Blows my mind. I don't want to submit. I want to conquer, right? We're Braveheart kind of men. Let's give us something to die for. And yet Peter says to submit. Check this out. 1 Peter 2, 13, be subject to submit, be subject for the Lord's sake. That's so important that we keep that. To, to every human institution, whether it to be as emperor supreme, the highest of government, or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil 
and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. Those two things, for this is the Lord's, for the Lord's sake and for this is the will of God, should get our attention as Christ followers. Why? For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Peter's saying, don't get bogged down in all the things of the world. Save your energy. Don't start fighting with your homeowner's association over a tree. Not that I've done that four or five times, but okay. (laughs) Submit. You, You decided to live in that homeowner's association. Submit to them. Because guess what? If I can let that tree get in the way of the gospel, right? If I'm the obstinate one in my neighborhood, then how am I going to be the one that the Lord uses in my neighborhood? I can't do it. I must be better than that. We've got to allow recognition potentially to come from living well so that the Lord can be moved in in other people's lives so that those who know us, so that those who live around us, so that those who work where we work and play where we play and learn where we learn, so that those people see and acknowledge the good works the Lord is doing through our lives. And if I'm fighting with my homeowner's association, then that's all they know. Oh, that's that crazy Christian guy that likes trees. What is the benefit? That by doing good, we will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You know what? Keep in mind, ignorance is a lack of knowledge or information. So when you live well, we're educating the ignorant. Literally. Education. Ignorance is a lack of knowledge or information. We're living well. We're questioning their worldview because of our actions for the Lord. And we're earning the right for the Lord to speak into their lives in that moment. I must remove myself as a barrier for the gospel. The very thing that I live for, the reason why I exist, and yet I'm still living as a barrier for the gospel when I don't live well. On to verse 16. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but, but living as servants of God. If you have an NIV, that may say slaves of God. See, A servant of God as opposed to a servant of sin. A slave to God as opposed to a slave of sin. You see, before salvation, we were in bondage. We were slaves to sin. We were bound by sin. We could do no good because of this sin. The moment of salvation, our sins are forgiven and released at the cross. And so we're free. We're free men. We're free men and women, boys and girls. We're free in Christ. We are to live as freedom people of freedom. Christians who would live as servants of God in this world must submit to other people. That's an act of submission in and of itself because I don't want to do that. And yet I'm called to do that. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. There is a significant difference between submitting to God and submitting to man, though we get that. Peter says, fear God. He doesn't say fear man. You, You can stand boldly and, and I, we're not talking about, about negotiating your values and beliefs. No, none of that. Peter's going to continue here. But he stresses this. That we are in a privileged position, which God has, 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 has really elevated, exalted us to, right? We are near to God. We are close to him as, as priests and, and saints and sons and daughters. We have position beside God. We're his own possession. We're loved by the Lord, and we don't need to focus on our dignity or our self-respect. If our dignity and our self-respect needs to be defended, then the Lord will defend his people. We should not have to lift our hand to defend ourselves. If we are Christ's people, if, if, if we are the people of the Lord, then he will defend us. Let me tell you, his wrath is far greater than my wrath. If you were here last week, you know who I am. You know I'm a fighter. This is an act of submission. 
Peter's going to address five different areas that we're to live well and to submit in. He, starting with, uh, we started with the government, right? And so now we're going to, uh, now we're going to uh, the employee-employer relationship. Now, you may have noticed I use an uh, ESV, the English Standard Version of the Bible when I study and I teach. It's, it's, for me, it's, more the, it's an accurate translation word by word of the Bible for, for today's. It's more accurate, and, and there's a, a struggle when you read in the NIV as a transliteration that there, it doesn't always come through right. And so this is a, a very big reason why I use the ESV. First uh, Peter 2.18, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. If we read that, I, I believe from the NIV, it says slaves be subject. And, and, and we understand that Peter's use of a specific Greek word here indicated a specific kind of slave, if you will, a specific kind of servant as a house servant. And uh, although the Greco-Roman literature didn't really address this slaves or servants very much, early Christian writings regarded slaves as full members of the household. They had moral responsibilities, they had ethical responsibilities, they had rights and inheritance. So it's, it's not the way we think of slaves today, the way that the slavery in the modern Western world has been just completely, uh, it's ridiculous what we've done to human beings in the issue of slavery. It's unacceptable and it's absolutely ridiculous. And if we read this in the context of slaves, then it becomes something very different than it does when we, when we have a, a better understanding and a more accurately translated servant. That's why this is important. I will say this, the vast majority of servants in Greco-Roman world were agricultural. They were earning a living. They were not forced into service. And uh, abuse and slavery did not go hand in hand in that day and time. There was, this was uh, there, employment. So this is regarding employment. He moves on from, so from government to employment uh, and then to marriage. Verse, uh, chapter 3, 1 and 2. Likewise, uh, likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands so that if some of them do not obey the word, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and your pure conduct. What he's saying here, and this is taken out of context so often, and it's, it's pretty direct. What Peter's saying here is that if your husband's conduct is not becoming of a believer, you let, allow your good conduct to win him. Your, your, your good conduct to win him. And that submission, that he's trusting you, that submission as Christ submitted to uh, the world, that submission, he's saying mirror that. He's saying mirror that. He goes on and talks about, be careful not to just be adorned on the outside, but to, to put the word of God, hide it in your heart, to invest the word of God, to grow and mature in your heart, because that is where your conduct springs from. He's saying, women, be careful to do that. And then very briefly, but just as forcibly to husbands, in verse 7, he says this, likewise, husbands, Live with your wives as an, in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as, as a woman, pardon me, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of, of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. He's saying, just because you're stronger physically doesn't mean that you should control. He's saying, he's saying yield, she is your co-heir with you. You're walking side by side, so be careful not to, to abuse that. 
So regarding marriage, real quick, re- referring to conduct, the way we conduct ourselves in marriage, the way we, uh, we receive and live in marriage brings fulfillment. We understand that. We, marriage is a specific thing. Our, but our marriages are not eternal. And ladies and gentlemen, if we think they are, we're, we're, we're sadly mistaken. Our marriages are not eternal. The only thing eternal about my, my marriage to my wife, Pam, is that we will be brother and sister in heaven. That's the only thing eternal. So I must be very careful not to treat her as a possession here, but to understand that she is my sister in Christ, and I should honor her in Christ, and that God has allowed her in my life to disciple me and to put courage in me and to be a helpmate one to another, that I should not abuse that. And the moment I begin to treat my marriage here on earth as eternal, what I'm doing is I'm treating her as if she exists to please me. If she treats me, then she's treating me the same way. We have to be careful to understand the context of our marriage and that they're not eternal, that they're important. And according to Ephesians 5, our marriages are intended to glorify God. They're intended to glorify God. That's why we have them. Our marriages are intended to disciple one another, to, to break the rough edges off of one another. And she's had a whole lot more work to do on me breaking those edges off than I have on her. Pray for her. And, 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 the, and the third thing is that our marriages should point people to Christ. We should be able to do more together than we can as individuals. We should be able to lock arms. The cord of three strands is not easily broken, according to Ecclesiastes 3, right? So we should be able to lock arms with the Lord and see some great things for the the kingdom. Verse 8, we'll move on. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. What is unity of mind? Unity of mind is very clearly to be focused on the things of God, to be focused on God himself, to understand and to have the context that everything runs through that. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, bless for this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. He's saying if you're treated poorly, if you're living in the world as a Christian, honoring Christ, a Christ follower, and you're living in the lost, and you're bumped and bruised and beaten up, you are not to respond in kind. You are to respond with a blessing, not abusive. We are to be excellent at doing good. We, we, are, we are to be excellent at doing good. Those who hear should be able to see God's nature through our lives, our conduct matters significantly. So Peter's theme is submit yourselves, right? He's saying civilians, submit yourself to civil authorities. He's saying um, husbands and wives, wives, submit yourself to your husband. Husbands, submit yourself to your wives. He's saying employees, submit yourself to your employer. And then finally, one another, submit yourself, Christian, one to another. Stand for the eternal. Stand for the things that are eternal. You see, we're Christ reflection. We are, we're to be the mirror and to demonstrate these things through Christ, through the power that we have obtained. All authority is God-ordained. We know that from Scripture. Peter quotes Psalms, and I'm going to read it to you. It's not going to be on the screen, but think with this for just a moment. So in, in 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12, here's, what, here's the words. Whoever desires to love life and see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to hear their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He's saying no matter what your circumstances are, if you're being pushed and pulled and bumped and bruised, bless people. Bless people. He's saying, 
If you want to have good days, watch your tongue, how you speak. He's saying, turn away from evil and do good. Don't follow the lead. As pe- we, are, we are literally to seek peace and pursue it according to verse 11. As people of peace, we cannot be at odds with our homeowners association. In non-essential and non-eternal matters, we need to submit. That's the bottom line. And that is an act of the will. We understand that. He goes on as this blessing, verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Aren't we afraid of being harmed for being good? Aren't we afraid of being odd for God, whatever that is? I just dated myself, didn't I? Just ignored that. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, uh, nor be troubled, but your, but your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason that the hope that is within you. And yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Don't be a Christian jerk. That's a good one. We are to be people of peace, not a keeper of peace. We're to be stewards of this peace. Chapter 4, verse 1, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Peter is wrapping this all the way back up to where we started two weeks ago. You see, if God convicts you to do something, will you do it? If God convicts you to say something, will you, do it? Will, will, will you say it? If God convicts you to give, will you give? If God convicts you to sacrifice your life, will you sacrifice your life? That's what he's saying. Here's the reason why verses 7 through 11 sum this whole past three weeks up. The end of all things is near. So keep a clear mind, control yourselves, then you can pray. Most of all, love one another deeply because love erases many sins by forgiving them. That word erase is pretty significant. We think we can't be loved, but Love erases many sins by forgiving them. Welcome others into your homes without complaining. Live a life of open and vulnerability with those around you. God's gift of grace come in many forms. Each of you has received a gift in order to serve others. What is the purpose of those gifts? To serve others inside the church, outside the church. You should use it faithfully. If you speak, you should do it like one speaking God's very words. If you serve, you should... Do it with the strength God provides. Paul says, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Then in all things, God will be praised through Jesus Christ. Give him the glory and the power forever and ever. If that is not the summary of how we should live, I don't know what is. Yesterday, so we were in Haiti this week, got back Thursday. Friday, I got on a plane and went to Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, had a church there, was there a couple days, a lot of seven hours of meetings yesterday, got back on the plane. This is not the beginning of a joke, but it sounds like one. Uh, so a pastor, uh, a Buddhist, and a, uh, a Benedictine monk get on the plane together. True story. We're sitting side by side. And I noticed when I was getting on the plane that, you know, the overhead uh, compartment areas above the, the bins was duct taped up. Um, it's a little bitty small jet, a little four-seater, about this wide and a little bit further. So we were pretty tied in there, and, you know, I'm thinking, okay, no panic attack, no panic attack. But anyway, so we're in there, and so we take off, and I'm thinking, you know, I uh, 
this will be, this will be good, you know. We've got, I've got 34 minutes, and I, I need three and a half hours, right? I'm, I mean, I have a Buddhist here, and I have a Benedictine here. I need three and a half. Of all the flights to be on a 34-minute flight, I mean, that wasn't it. I needed more time, right? And so I began to, uh, to talk, and it was one of those uh, cloud-pounding flights, you know what I mean? You're bouncing around, and it is really loud because that plastic piece on the top is flapping around, and it's just loud. And so I'm talking loud, and, you know, there's not a word being said on the plane because it's so, such a rough flight. And so I'm talking to the, my Buddhist friend. I said, so where are you from, and how are you doing? Anyway, long story short, he... Um, he grew up in, you know, Sri Lanka, and he went to a, 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 a school there, and he works out of Seattle now, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, we're talking, like, I mean, it's a rough flight, and so we're like 12 minutes in the flight, and I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm thinking, oh, no, I need more time, I need more time. Maybe, Lord, I'll just not say anything this, on this trip. I'll just, I'll just sit there. So I, I tried that. I thought, oh, no. This is a true story. I can't make this up. The, the stewardess goes to the emergency row, and she re refreshes their memory on how to open the doors on the plane. Like it was a rough flight. And the guy beside me, I said, Lord, maybe he'll, uh, I said, what if, if we go down, th- they may be lost. I have to say something like I, that's going in my, on in my mind. I know it's kind of crazy, but that's going on in my mind. And he, I said, well, maybe he'll say something to me and I can transition the conversation. And he said, so, uh, do you see the smoke? I'm like, no, no smoke. No, no. And I said, you know, at that point I, I was kind of, you know, freaked me out. And I thought, you know, I could, could I use the same line I used last week? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or are you still in process? That wouldn't work probably with him at that point, right? Like I did with the car lot guy. And so I began to pray, okay, Lord, what's the great question I can ask him? And here's what I asked him. I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, I don't know what your spiritual condition is. And I said, all that doesn't matter, which really it mattered very much to me. I lied to him. So forgive me for lying to him as I'm sharing Christ, but I lied to him. And I said, um, for the committed Christians that you know, is there anything about how they live that is appealing to you? Their, their conduct, is there anything that's attractive to you? And he thought for a minute, and he didn't say anything. And I thought, maybe he didn't understand. So, 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 you know, how they live. He said, no, I understand. He said, I know some Christians. But at best, they're marginal. Oh, my heart sank. He said, so no. Nothing that I can think of. I said, thank you. I'm speaking tomorrow at my church. And I just wanted to ask you that question. And, He said, but I did grow up in Sri Lanka. I went to a Christian school and I practiced some of the tenets of Christianity. And he said, I'm Buddhist, but I just don't see Christians living what they say they believe. I thought to myself in that moment, Lord, what if, what if, What if, what if someone had lived well in his presence? What if? Would that conversation go like this? Yes, I accepted Christ. I'm so excited. What if? What if a family had really connected with him when he moved to the United States 10 years ago, 12 years ago? What if? And then I thought, oh no. How many people would say that of my conduct? 
that there's nothing in my life that's attracting, uh, uh, that, that God is using that's attractive to the God that I love, the, the one that's called me out of the darkness. What if, what if, and I became incredibly convicted. I'm going to tell you, how we live matters so much. It's the tool that, that God has designed to call others to him. He's chosen to use you and chosen to use me. The God of the universe that created this world and set this world in motion has chosen you and me to demonstrate the gospel and spread the word. We are his ambassadors. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit as a Christ follower to do this. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this. Why do I fight it so hard? Why do I make it so difficult? Why do I allow my fear of failure get in the way of what God wants to do in the lives of others? We can do this together. You see, the gospel is not about filling this church up. The gospel is about reconciling people's sins to the Savior. And God has chosen you. He's elevated you to a position of authority to handle the gospel for the world. We got this. We got this. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. This is just a couple of minutes, the holy time. In LaGrange online here, no distractions. I would ask you this. If, if today you would say, hey, Don, I know that I'm a believer. I'm a Christ follower. I, I know I've been saved and there's no doubt in my mind. Without anybody looking around, I don't want to embarrass anybody. We're not going to embarrass anybody. Would you simply lift your hand up and let me know that? Lift your hand up. I know for sure if I die today, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. I'm a Christ follower. I'm a Christian. Would you lift your hands? That's a lot of you, but that's not everybody. You can put your hands down. Now, to those of you who lifted your hands or are Christ followers, I, I wonder if, if, you would, if, you, if you could answer this question. In the last few weeks through the series and through your lives, the last few weeks, do you sense that God is calling you to more, to do something, to something greater, to, to living differently or, or, or speaking differently? Do you sense that God is working in your life and wants, a, wants more from you, that there's more? No matter what it is, do you sense that without anybody looking around? Would you say, I, I believe that? Would you lift your hand up just as, to let us know so we can pray for you? Great. Lots and lots of hands. We're going to pray for you in just a moment because because we want to join together with you and help you discover and move forward in your walk with Christ. I need that. We all need that. But some of you in here weren't able to lift your hands, and LaGrange weren't able to lift your hands because you're uncertain of your salvation. You're uncertain of your relationship with Christ. No matter how good you speak, no matter how well you speak, how well you live, no matter what your conduct's like, if your relationship with Christ is not right, then, then you're not right. There's, you're, you're going to be an eternity away from him. Today, I want to give you an opportunity in just this moment to make that commitment to Christ. If you've been struggling with that, you know you need to do that, and we want to give you that opportunity. And we, again, we don't want to embarrass you, but if that's you and you want to, to make that commitment today to, to submit your life to him, take a knee with him, then I want to invite you to pray with me. Prayer's not magical. It won't save you, but what saves you is your heart to want to be with Christ. So if you're tired of struggling, if you've been in church your whole life or this is your first time, this invitation is open to you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of confession that Jesus is who he said he was, that you need him, 
You need forgiveness for your sins. You acknowledge that and that you're placing your faith and trust in him. So if you want to do that right now, you pray with me silently as I pray aloud. Dear Lord Jesus, today, to the best of our ability, to the best of my ability, I'm committing my life to you. I know that I'm a sinner and I can't do this on my own. So I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins, to be my Lord and be my Savior. And from this day forth, I seek to honor you all the days of my life.